This is episode 105 of Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus mountains of Russia. My name's Andrew. My name's Eli. Welcome to the show, listeners. And it's the dog days. It's hot. 105. Episode 105. Temperature. 105. 105. Fahrenheit. It was, it was, <laughs> nice. it was about 105 here, Fahrenheit, um, here in Tbilisi, Georgia, the country thereof. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty roasty. Well, Eli, um, I was really happy that the Euro Cup finally happened in 2021. That is a sport. <laughs> It is a sporting event. Soccer. Uh, Europe-wide, every four years, it was supposed to be held in 2020, canceled because of COVID, and uh, just uh, wrapped up here in the summer. But it really was a fantastic tournament. Andrew, I Um, played soccer with my kids two days ago. Yesterday. There we go. I know what soccer is. It's a sport. Um, Well, there was a lot of cool... uh, kind of Russia and Caucasus connections with EuroCup. Um, St. Petersburg ended up, it was a Europe-wide tournament, first ever, where there were host cities all over the continent. And, mm. you know, of course, of course, when they planned that, they didn't know that COVID was coming. And, you know, the jury's still out. Some people said it was great. Others said it wasn't great. St. Petersburg ended up hosting seven matches. Oh. Um, because they already had some, but then several countries couldn't host because of COVID restrictions. Sure. And Baku, Azerbaijan even had some matches. Um, but there were some cool Caucasus uh, connections to the Russian national team that I wanted to share. Great. Yeah. So uh, we talked about this a little in 2018 after Russia hosted the World Cup. But uh, there's a long history of uh, uh, quality soccer teams uh, in the North Caucasus, and in recent years and decades, there have been players from the Caucasus on the Russian national team. So, first of all, uh, the face of the team, the coach uh, Stanislav Cherchesev, he is a Setian. He's from North Ossetia, mm-hmm. um, and he was um, a uh, very accomplished goalie uh, for the Russian team in the 1990s. Um, yeah, so. Um, yeah, we got a Setian coach of the Russian national team. He still was coaching them this year. Okay. Unfortunately, they did not perform uh, as well as it had been hoped, and they didn't make it out of the group stage. Um, but then uh, there was a guy from Ingushetia, an English guy, Magomed Azdoyev, who he was a starter uh, for the uh, at least two of the matches. He plays for uh, FC Zenit, which is St. Petersburg's tops club. Nice. But, uh, yeah, he uh, – uh, played and contributed well to the team. Um, and then um, there's an up-and-coming guy we got to talk about. Okay. Because um, I am almost positive he will be on the next Russian national team, whether it's the World Cup or maybe it'll be at the Euros in, in three years now from now. But his name is Magomed Shapi Suleimanov. Can you tell he's from the Caucasus? I'm, I'm hearing it loud and clear. <laughs> Yeah, but he is uh, of Dargin ethnicity uh-huh. from Dagestan, and he plays for FC Krasnodar. Huh. Uh, and this team, FC Krasnodar, uh, was they're one of the like kind of surprising top tier teams in Russia right now. They've been playing uh, in um, it's the the Europa and the Champions League in recent years, Europe wide. 
but he is a stud striker for them. He's mm. on, you know, this could be considered blasphemous to say this, but he reminds me a little of Lionel Messi. Ooh. Uh, yeah. He would love uh, that though. Yeah, I think he would. Um, there's a great highlight clip on YouTube of his, um, of kind of his top goals from recent years, but he's short like Messi and he's left footed. And so immediately, of course, I'm draw, I'm drawing comparisons to Messi, but kind of what I've seen of him, and he actually was even included on a top five list for players, up and coming players in Europe to to look out for. All right, yeah. So it's validated. It's not just me like blowing smoke, you know. I would uh, never accuse you of that. Not 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 publicly. But as far as I know, and please, listeners, if I'm wrong, correct me, but I have not been able to find any record of a player from the North Caucasus playing on a high-level uh, Europe team, European team. And so uh, I would love I, – I think in his future there's, there's a chance he could, he could be purchased by a, by a European club to play for. Um, and, you know – he um Eli the the constant question now in the MMA is who's the next Habib because yeah. Habib Nurmagomedov retired right so he can and go they're, farm sheep they're they're mm-hmm. looking that's right they're looking for his heir apparent uh, coming from Dagestan which there are multiple names they're putting out there but um, could Magomed Shapi Suleimanov be the next Messi. That's that's what I want to know. I think you've got to write a blog post somewhere to get that <laughs> to get that circulating on the interwebs. Let's get this out there. But he um, would that be, was probably outside of outside of wrestling. I mean, he would be one of the next Dagestani names to hit the international sports scene if he got picked up by an like a European club. Right, for sure. Um, yeah, so let's wait and see, but keep that name, uh, on your, uh, your Rolodex or you know, whatever it is where you keep names. <laughs> I'm putting Rolodex in the tags. You know, it'd be interesting to talk to some kind of a, a sports, um, scout and ask them like how they view Dagestani athletes. Cause I kind of wonder if the grit that makes their wrestlers so renowned and hmm. effective just you know, if you find the person with that grit, whatever sport they apply it to, if you have enough talent like that, they right. know they're going to get um, results from that kind of a player. Yeah. Basically, what we're saying is if you're from Dagestan, just pick a play sport. A sport. <laughs> Any sport. Yes. And don't give up. All right. And we, good things will we come. Gotta, we got to see a Dagestani hit like the tennis circuit and see what happens, you know, if they like <laughs> break a hole in the racket or whatever. That um, guy is so ripped. <laughs> it's just from it's just from hitting hitting tennis balls. Yeah, <laughs> man. Well, that is cool. I'm don't follow, but um, I am excited for that. And we do have to keep track. Didn't I mean? Wasn't there something about Habib wanting like how he'd actually always wanted to play soccer? You know, it was like, well, my dad made me wrestle, but if I and he wanted to go out for a soccer oh. club. You know what? There was an article. Was that a publicity stunt? The guy who wrote this article um, is on my level of making these huge jumps (laughs) from one thing to another. But he, he, yeah, he said 
if Habib had grown up playing soccer, because of like his determination and drive, he could have been the next Ronaldo or something. Oh, because I thought it was something yeah. Habib had said. It might have been Habib, but I don't really remember. But that was a headline. You're right. It felt like Jordan, like Michael Jordan, going into baseball. It's like if Habib goes into soccer, maybe he can't. But like, you know, Eli, who else could compare Ronaldo and Messi to people in the Caucasus in one short breath like we just did? I mean, Andrew, you include me in that, and it honors (laughs) me. But I had nothing to do with it. But uh, my my esteem for for your Agile thinking when it comes to sports remains <laughs> extremely high. Uh, well, let's move. Speaking from, of uh, speaking of agility, that is an <laughs> excellent segue into today's topic, uh, listeners. We're going to be talking about retirement today. And um, before you turn off, don't turn off. Before you turn off the podcast, I want you to hear <laughs> us out. This is one of those topics, we just talked about this in our last episode, something that's right under our noses like holidays that we don't really think about that much. We certainly don't think to ask about, I don't think, um, between, yeah. between cultures. But here's what I want to say by way of intro, Andrew. One, I think one way to get to know a culture, a community, um, kind of a, a national spirit is to look at what they do with big life event events, a particular beginning of life yeah. and end of life. Um, this is not, you know, it's in rocket science, but when you see how people treat birth, babies, and children, and when you see how mm. people treat retirement, elderly, and dying, you wow. get a kind of super highway into some of the core values. And we can kind of peel yeah. this back a little bit. We're going to do a little comparison of American slash Western approaches to retirement and learn about Caucasus approaches uh, to retirement and maybe kind of blur over into end of life stuff. And I think that we will unpack a lot of these um, uh, kind of Easter egg or, or little uh, treasures, discoveries of, of what's under the surface. Yeah, that's great. Um, I, I have to say, like, from the outset, this is one of those areas of life and topics that it's probably one of the top ones I've learned in a positive way from living in the Caucasus and my Caucasus friends. And that has made me really uncomfortable at times with kind of how I've seen things done with those in older age from where I'm from. And we're going to hash that out. That that is so, one of the gifts of engaging cross culturally. It is, I mean, and and I think we would both assiduously back this up. It is not fair, and it's not true or honest to just blanket say, you know, oh, one culture is better than another. That's way too simplistic, and it doesn't work that way. Every culture is going to have moments of brilliance and things that they kind of bring to light and bring to the table, and and it's going to have blind spots, weaknesses, and kind of places in shadow. And when you interact cross-culturally, you are forced yeah. to see those in others and, and you start to see them in yourself and in your own culture more than you, you did in the past. So it's good. It's a normal thing. So let's, let's, yeah. let's get into this, Andrew. All right. So Eli, I purposely hid my outline <laughs> for how we're going to have this conversation <laughs> from you because I wanted you to hear it on, on the air. Um, we've got... The framework we're going to discuss this in is three M's, okay? I'm ready. One is mobility. Hmm. Two is malinkis. 
<laughs> so for for our listeners, that's one of those Russian words we just kind of added our English. Took. Used, yeah. Yeah, which malinkis means little kids, basically, the li- little ones. Um, and then the third is mentality. Okay. So mobility, malinkis, and mentality. This is going to help us kind of wade our way through how they do retirement right. and kind of old age so in North Caucasus. I'm trying to think of an English equivalent for Malinkis. I can think of minors, <laughs> but that's a little bit sterile. And then minions came to mind, but I don't think that strikes the right <laughs> tone. So let's get into it. I want to hear, I want to hear where you're going to go with this. Yeah. So um, mobility, I think, is a great one to start with. Sure. Um, and I'll just share... Um, I'll start off sharing about my grandparents. Um, these are my mom's parents. Uh, they lived their kind of early years in Illinois, and then they moved to Pennsylvania not long after they got married. And then they lived Pennsylvania the rest of their life, like lives together around 50 years. Um, my grandfather worked with the same company his whole career, it was a key company and he was a top salesman for them. Mm. Uh, and basically they lived in that one house right. and they didn't do much traveling. They, they would go to the beach in the summers um, and then like to see family uh, in the Midwest uh, where they grew up when they had the margin. But because of his job, they had to be there. But when he retired, they had been saving money for decades basically to enjoy their retirement. And one way they did that was by traveling a lot. Mm. Uh, And they traveled a lot of different places in the world. Um, They would always come and see us um, at Thanksgiving and Easter. Those were the two times a year that we lived in North Carolina. We were, it's about an eight hour drive um, and we'd visit them in the summer. But basically they, they're, middle decades of all that those years of my grandfather working, they were preparing for retirement with the funding right. uh, to enable them to be mobile. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And so I think that's a good point to start with. Um, I think in the Caucasus, one thing I see right off the bat when people get to that retirement age is – they're really, for one, there isn't a big desire to go places. Mm-hmm. Um, their desire really is to be kind of home where they're from. Um, but I, I do think a, a big thing to point out is like just a lot of people don't have the, the funds or the, the ability to even travel like that, you know? For sure. And I would say that is an explicit goal of many in, at least in the U.S., for retirement is exactly that point. Like I want the the financial freedom to be able to move around and mobility is kind of an outworking of that financial independence or kind of su- sustaining. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, it's often in the West uh, retirement for people is kind of viewed as like, you're finally free to do whatever you want. This term empty nesters, when the adult children move out of the house, it's really something people strive for. Um, And it's viewed positively, like 
we're going to live out our final years like husband and wife um, doing what we want when we want, you know? Sure. That mentality is I've, I've never come across it in the North Caucasus in the retirement age. And that we're already moving into mentality some, but um, yeah, people, I I definitely think that mobile aspect um, pl- plays into that. In the Caucasus, people they don't want to leave like that. Their yeah. home, yeah. really, really, I think it plays a lot into um, their home is like where they grew up, that physical land, yeah. and they have no desire to go anywhere else. I mean, this is going to be different. You know, the danger in with us kicking this around is we just have our own experience. So there's going to be a huge variety, but I, I can say that in our family, we relate to that because the place that I grew up in Washington, DC isn't where my parents are from. Uh And even where they grew up, isn't where my, they were born. So right now, now you have three, four different kind of home places in two generations One's right. born in Minnesota. One's born in Georgia. They both grow up in Florida. They move and raise their family in Washington. So when we're looking at our parents' retirement, we don't really know where they're going to go. I mean, yeah. they're now in those years of retirement. I think they're pretty well staying where they are for the most part. And they, they are able to travel a lot. But they have friends who kind of go back to their their place, and that may be very different from where their families were raised. Now, I know that that can happen anywhere on earth, but right. it's definitely something I relate to and a lot of my peers relate to. And I would say that it would be more likely to find a situation where parents, children, maybe grandchildren have a, a more cohesive sense of place or roots or home in a place like the North Caucasus. Do you think, you think that's fair yeah. to say? Well, for sure. And like just historically, this is where their peoples are from. This is where they've always lived. Um, and so for the continuity of language and culture and familiarity Absolutely. and family, <laughs> they, need to, they need to be there. So this is know? one of those things that Americans often have faced in Russia, and I know this from speaking to many, is we'll get asked, Andrew, you've had this happen, what is your nationality from, uh, from a local? Yeah. And of course, I answer American. And we've all been told, no, 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 there's no such thing. <laughs> there's no such thing as an American. What's your nationality? And once I learned to not let that razz me and sort of get my blood to yeah. boil, but like, ah, what do you mean? Like, the, ne- the necessary first step. I know, it's like... <laughs> I'm sorry. There's no such thing as an like. I am an American. Who are you to tell me? Um, and it is a fairly offensive thing to say to a person. But but there. <laughs> but but what it is is this mentality of like your nationality is your ethnicity. And I'm like my ethnicity. Like I can't count them on two hands. And you know they're so far back in history that we don't even know and we don't have that connection and blah blah blah. blah. So. For an American, you know, our nationality and ethnicity tends, for many of us, as an American, that's all, you know, kind of um, smelted in America. But for right. for many in the Caucasus, it's like, no, 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 you, you come from a certain nationality and place, and that's your real, true place. Yeah. Different from how yeah. I think about it. 
Definitely. Um, yeah. So I think just obviously not everybody in the West has the means or the desire to uproot themselves and move for their own pleasure. You know, I think a lot of people know like Florida is kind of like that place on the East coast. It's Florida on the West coast. It's Arizona where people, when they retire, they move there because the warmer weather and kind of enjoy their final years. But my, my that's wife, a, I'm just going to jump in. I mean, my wife's, my wife's grandparents who were born and raised in Northwest from their da 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 in their final years, they were snowbirding. So the idea of snowbird is when yeah. the snow comes, they went South and they were in a community that was only, and entirely people just like them. And they made all new friends. They lived in a trailer, a nice trailer that was comfortable. It was warm. And yeah. they did things that other people from their generation like to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I there, There's nothing like that in the Caucasus. No. Um, so that touches on mentality, you know, means to even do it. Um, yeah, and even like to let, we can transition here into the Malinkis part. Um that the little ones, we're talking about grandkids, but in, in the West what I've seen is people are absolutely willing to move in their older age if it means being closer to their grandkids. Uh-huh. And um I mean just this year being home, I've we've spent some time living with my parents. My mom's two best friends, one is their next door neighbor and one was uh, a former coworker, but they both within a month of each other this summer sold their homes and moved to a different place so they could be close to their grandparents wow, or their grandkids. That's amazing. Yeah. One one moved to New Mexico, I mean across the entire United States, and then the other moved to a different part of North Carolina, but it was 3 hours away, you know, still she's going to have to make new friends. Um so comparing that to – so you see in both cultures this uh, value on the Malinkis, the little ones, the grandkids, right? Yeah, yeah. But how it's done is different because in the Caucasus, the grandparents typically stay in their home. And if anything, family will be close to them, stay close to them, or even be living in their home with them. So that's a question. Whereas, Go ahead. Finish your thought. Whereas, like, just in the U.S., like, I think it's pretty common. Grandparents will move just so they can be close to their grandkids. To another, they'll kind of follow the, their kids, you know? That's really interesting. I mean, I, at so, you know, there's a sort of a, a trade-off when the elderly person, parent, the, they, they – how do I want to say this? They slide off from being the center of gravity for the family – and at some point, their children and their children's career becomes the center. I mean, really, the career tends to be the central thing more than place. Right. You know, um, that the career becomes the the center of gravity that everyone orbits around. And in yeah. a sense, the retired or retiring or retired you know parent no longer has that place. I wonder if in the caucuses, it, that elderly person continues to have that anchoring role. Yeah, they they absolutely do, and this is a huge difference um, because one one reason is uh, the grandparents when they were the parents, they were taking care of their parents in uh-huh. that home, 
And then when their parents died, it was their home. It was handed down to them. And so then when they get older, it, it's different in every Caucasus nationality, but always across the board, a son will stay with the parents and often it's the youngest son and it's his responsibility to take care of them until they pass away. And so that means living with him. When he gets married, his wife moves in. When they have kids, they stay in that home. Uh, and a big part of how that works is like they're there to t- – it, it's still the grandparents' house. That's the thing. And so, yeah, they absolutely are the anchor for sure. I mean it, it's really different than what we're used to here in the West. It's funny because you have this idea of sort of failure to launch – that's uh, become very prevalent in the last generation in the U.S., huh. which is yeah. young people growing up at home, and when the expectation, when the time comes that they're expected to move on, to move out, get your own yep. job, career, house, life, and get going, they come back, they come home, and they don't leave, and they don't start their own life, and that's considered a kind of failure. Something right. undesirable because it means this kid hasn't, even though he's 30, he's still acting like a dependent and not moving on. And I'm not, so, the, but the point is not being dependent or having a, a job, but sort of the, the act, the action of the child coming home in the U.S., I think, I would say feels generally like not what we're aiming for. But right. it, but from what you're saying, the act of at least a certain child staying with the parents is part of success, is part of the expectation. Not that they yeah, don't well, have their own job in life, but that they're there to take care of them. There, there would be absolutely no other option. Like, they wouldn't even consider it, you know. And again, that's, I mean, that's kind of moving into mentality, but well, yeah, it's just... It's the highest honor you you could have is to take care of your parents so as let, they get older. If it's not premature, let's go in there. I want to hear. I, I think discomfort is a great teacher. So you said that it's been uncomfortable for you at times to be confronted with our end of life practices or how we treat elderly in our culture. And I'm wondering if you can share some of some of that and what you learned. Yeah. Well, uh, my wife reminded me of this last night and I have to share it. This was not long ago. It was within a couple months before we came back to the States at the end of 2020. And one of our, she was outside with our kids talking to a neighbor that we know. And then another neighbor who we kind of know by association, but hadn't really talked with much. Somehow the topic got on retirement and you know, what do you do where you're from with your parents and older people? And she came at my wife so aggressively Whoa. and and said, of course, in Russian, but is it true that in an America that you put your old people in orphanages for old people? Whoa. Yeah. I mean, just like in her face going after her. And Christy, of course, was shocked because, you know, She's talking about like either retirement centers or assisted living centers, uh, which in the States, we don't view them that way. But in their eyes, that's like the most shameful thing you could do. And it really reveals a 
disconnect or difference in mentality. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, you know, to start that conversation off, just to say in the West, um, often, not always, and it, this depends on if you have the means or the desire, but, uh, people beyond retirement, but once they get older and often need help taking care of themselves physically, they'll move into sometimes of their own will, uh, or, um, their children will get them into like, it's called a retirement center or an assisted living center where basically older people live to, to take care of their needs. Um, because the younger family can't that's accepted practice in the United States. And I would say in general, most people don't look down on that. Um, but in the Caucasus, like that is just anathema. I mean, well, it's anathema. Uh, I ideological, like, uh, in the ideal, like it doesn't exist. Right. There is no such thing. I've never seen a, some kind of like retirement center. I've heard that in Russia in general, they have these, these places kind of nursing homes would be the older term. Right. Um, but they're few and far in between. Right. Um, I don't, so, and I don't know this for a fact, but I do, you, you saying nursing home makes me think that maybe with the boomer generation that is, you know, aging in the U S I, I have this sense that there has been a major progression from a nursing home, which is this person needs to be spoon fed and has, you know, bedpans, like a, more of a medical care to a lifestyle shift of there's a whole center. There's a sports facility. There's activities. I mean, right. you know, that the industry in a sense of retirement homes has really boomed and it, it becomes a lifestyle choice, not purely a kind of medical or physical need. I, I may be wrong, but I think, I think I, I can safely say that that has happened in the last absolutely decades. And you know, that's, that's a segment of society. Not a lot of people can't do that because they couldn't afford it or right. they wouldn't want to. But like, again, my grandparents, my mom's parents, when they retired, uh, they sold their home that they lived in for 50 years and they moved, they had researched and found a place they wanted to move into this kind of, uh, re- retirement facility that, like you said, like it had entertainment options. Um, they, yeah, they'd saved money so that they can do that. And in their mindset, what are they thinking? That's what I wanted to ask. Um, they, they're thinking, um, we don't want to have a lot of responsibilities in our final years as, or stresses as far as, you know, home repairs, things like that. In their mind, they're thinking, we don't want to be a burden on our children if we get really sick. You know, they have little kids. Um, and it was something they, they strove for. Like, they chose that. Yeah, even the mindset, like, we don't want to slow down or impede our kids and our grandkids. That's just, I mean, that's what I grew up thinking was normal right. and what everybody did. Um, and if you're talking about, if you're not viewing it as one's right and one's wrong, but just the mentality that just was, is the mentality they had in the Caucasus mentality. Yeah. Like the, the elderly and older generation are the most venerated in society. And so I do think that's an area that you just see a difference, uh, is the high level of respect placed on the older generation in the Caucasus and I mean, there's a lot of ways to hash that out, but a couple that right off the bat that come to me is, I mean, 
grandparents in a lot of ways, they're, they're, they could be viewed as the primary ones raising the kids in the Caucasus, depending on the home. Um, the, the grandparents are very involved in helping raise the, the grandkids. Um, also like I've just been in enough Caucasus homes now that like you're friends with the son, the adult son, right? Or my wife's friends with the adult daughter, uh, or our kids are friends with their kids, the grandkids. But when you go to visit them in their home, like the primary and like most important interaction is with the grandparent. Um, and it's not, that's not always the case, but it often is the case. Sure. Um, and I just think like, you know, here in the States, uh, when you meet somebody like you're in my age, we're in our late thirties or are you, am I, am I going to age you here? We're, you can <laughs> age me. I'm proud. I'm proud that I've moved into the, the best decade of my life. There we go. Over the hill. Um, what? But, no, so no, 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 no. On hill, the top of the hill. That's that's 50. <laughs> Isn't it 50? It's 40. <laughs> um, well, I think, I think I'm going to have to reject that. But, so we're, but like we're parents with young kids. If you or I meet somebody that we have a lot in common with and want to spend more time with, the thing we would say to them would be, hey – why don't I'd love to get our families together. I think it'd be great for our wives to meet or it'd be great for our kids to meet. I think they'd get along and play well together more often than not in the Caucasus. What your friends will say to you is I want you to come to my house and meet my parents. Right. Yeah. It's very rarely mentioned like meet my spouse or, have your spouse meet my spouse or let's have our kids play. It's I want you to come meet my parents. That is true. And I'm thinking through so many social interactions where that is what has happened, you know, and I didn't quite notice it. I mean, I noticed that the people that I was meeting them, but I didn't quite see that as intentionally as, as you're saying it right now. Oh man. I think like I never lived in a place where my grandparents lived in the same town as me. Uh, my dad's parents lived about two hours away, uh, and they lived in the same place their whole life. Like they were kind of, uh, that's a different segment of society. Like they were from more the a rural area and like, they didn't want to leave. Uh, my, my mom's parents were eight hours away, but it never even crossed my mind growing up, you know, young kid, middle school, high school to introduce any of my friends to my grandparents. Right. And now that I think about it, I don't think any of my friends ever met my grandparents until I was in college. And it just yeah. wasn't, it wasn't something I thought about, you know, well, definitely my parents, they knew my parents well, of course. But if it's like grandma's visiting, that's not the time when you bring all your friends over. Right. To meet grandma. All right, but Andrew, I know a lot of listeners are saying to themselves, you know, American listeners, I don't relate to that. I'm, you know, we have a high value of caring for our parents, and I know people who care for their parents, and and you do too. So this is not like the only thing going on in retirement in the U.S. We're talking broad brushstrokes. You're definitely right. um, I mean, there are examples of kids caring for parents in the U.S. that we can both think of. Yeah, and I'll, I I actually 
sat down and thought about it. Like who of my friends or in my circles do I know who have lived with their parents and cared for them? And I mean, Christy reminded me, I totally forgot, but our former next door neighbor before we moved to Russia, um, yeah, their, their mom lives with them. Uh, she's, uh, in her seventies and she's lived with them ever since we've known them. Uh, it's three generations, grandma, parents, grandkids. So that, that's an example. Um, just recently, some good friends of ours, they're from Oregon originally, but they've lived in North Carolina a long time. And his parents both moved from Oregon into their home in North Carolina so that they could help take care of them long-term. The, the father is not in good health, the grandfather. Um, and then even I think about my dad's parents, uh, my my grandpa passed away when he was 65, but my grandmother lived 13 years after him. Mm-hmm. And uh, my aunt, kind of like in the country, they were next door neighbors in that sense. They weren't close, but they were, you know, 10 acres away from each other kind of land-wise, you know. But they were next door neighbors, and my aunt was checking on her every day. Like right. they were seeing each other for sure every day in each other's homes. Um, so they weren't living together per se, but it was that kind of symbiotic relationship where care for her mother was a top priority, you know, on a daily basis. This is something I've noticed with my, in contrast with with my birth family and my wife's birth family is how this is treated growing up. One of the lessons, if you grew up in my household, you would learn, (laughs) you would learn about retirement savings from like, your 10th birthday. I mean, we were like, these was one of our essential hmm. financial lessons that my dad taught us. He, he taught us how to invest. And it was so built into our expectation that this is what you're doing. This is how the world works. And it's also built into our systems, you know, 401ks and pension funds that businesses take on much more than the government. Right. Um, in contrast, my, I just, it's very interesting. My wife, my wife's family has has always talked about being elderly. When I'm old, when I can't do this, oh, you're going to be wiping my mouth someday. I mean, <laughs> it's a kind of it's a it's a kind of subculture that right. is building in an expectation for uh, and a readiness for and again the expectation that you're going to be caring for elderly parents someday. And so there's a whole like a whole new world of joking that we do with our children. I'm like, we never joked like that, you know? Yeah. Like diapers is a big one, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. You're going to be changing uh, my diaper one day. Yeah. yeah. But like my, I, I, I would, you know, I would cringe, curdle. I would run away if I ever heard my parents say that because that kind of expectation never was stated in my family. You know what I mean? It was like, right. we're not. So I think that's a big thing too, that how families deal with it kind of from, yeah, from yeah. the home. From I the think age. as I, you're right. I I think I talk as I talked with my wife about this. One point she made was, you know, in the Caucasus, it's just what's expected um, and done. Like whether the grandparents are healthy or not healthy, they're still going to be living with their children. Um, whereas in the U.S., often that moment where the younger generation may even either move in with the grandparents or the grandparents move in with them is when they're, it's more kind of on an as needed basis. 
uh, when there's a health issue or things like that. I think that's what we've seen more yes. in our circle. Yeah, and you hear that a lot, like, well, we've got to see what's going to happen with mom and dad, or we don't know. And it is very as-needed kind of contingent on health, finances, da-da-da, rather than, yeah, no matter what, this is happening. Yeah. Um, I, like, one thing that I experienced about two years ago uh, in the Caucasus was so we we're, we have some of our best Caucasus friends. They're Bokor. They're from the Elbrus region. And we had him actually on the show, Tahir. He's a, a mountain guide at Elbrus. Um, but we've been in their home a lot. We always stay at their kind of neighboring guest home when we go up to the region as a family. And they're real sweet dark kids. And um, my wife's good friends with his mom. But uh, the first three years we visited them, both his grandparents were still alive. They were around 90. And like any visit into their home, a lot of it involved interacting with his grandparents and they were funny. I mean, they really, the only issue was like they were losing their hearing, but they were funny, engaging. And I I forget, did you ever go in that house? Didn't you guys go there one time, Eli? Yeah. So like a log cabin. Yeah. You stayed, you all stayed up there. That's right. So, uh, his grandpa passed away about two years ago. Okay. And uh, a friend in my a friend of mine and I, we went out there kind of for the um, kind of funeral observances, which it's really like a three day um, event. But we went out to uh, pay our condolences to the family. And what was amazing to me was all of Tahir's friends from across the region came. Uh, and a lot of it was because every time they visited him they'd spent a lot of time interacting with his grandpa wow. and it, the grandpa really was the anchor of the family. And it just so struck me. Um, they, you know, they were doing it in a lot of ways out of respect to Tahir and his family, but they were doing it because they had a good relationship with his grandpa right. and were really sad at his passing wow. too. And that just has really stuck with me. Uh, how across, not just in his family, but other families, that cross-generational impact of living together, you know? Yeah. So an interesting question, and it could be a thought experiment, um, and probably research has been done on this. You know, how much of our um, retirement culture, culture around retirement, is based on or um, even forced by economics Right. Um, yeah. Because I would say that a huge part of, you know, the American uh, retirement mentality is related to uh, affluence. Just like you said, not everyone has the money for that. But yeah. the fact that it's built into the profit model of companies, you know, to pay for, provide for uh, in retirement plans and so on and so forth, that. Mm is different from how it happens in other government systems or whatever. It would be interesting to pursue, like, what if there were, you know, much more um, economic freedom? That's, that's the American in me speaking. If there are more economic resources, uh-huh. what that would re- result in. And it's just speculation. I don't think it would change the underlying values, but how would they play out differently? It would be pretty interesting to see. Like, one example that comes to mind is the granny flat idea. So hmm. you probably know people who don't want their parents 
ending up in a retirement home at the end of life, but they don't want to live with them. <laughs> and yeah. their house isn't built to live with them. I mean, you know, even in our how we build our houses, like it's not right often but but they are at a point where they can build a small house. They have land, they have a backyard, and they put a small house, kind of like a little a little cottage in their backyard. Yeah. A granny a granny flat, you know, like a tiny house. And that's where grandma or grandpa comes to live um, when he or she is alone and huh. uh, if the spouse has died. Just an example, you know, of, of a of a way that that's kind of negotiated. Yeah. Um I mean I <laughs> I spent some time with some of my good college friends uh in March and one of them lives in South Florida and while we were hanging out uh his mom so he has two kids now his mom and her husband were visiting them for a couple months but they were living in their RV which was parked in their driveway Yep and again this kind of speaks to like resources and mobility it was a bit of the snowboarding deal they live in Connecticut they came down to South Florida um, but they were together, but separate, you know, they had their own living mm-hmm. spaces, um, space, but yeah, they're, they're together. Um, it reminds me of our interview with Hava, the English <laughs> businesswoman who, uh, has run some hotels and does the, the fish leather. Right. Um, and she talked about that. Like she's got a career, you know, she's not retired. She's not yeah. disabled in any way. And she has living with her. Children and their children, and she comes home and plays sort of the grandma role, and then kicks the kids out so she can do her work. Yeah. You know, like there's dynamics that have got to be negotiated everywhere. Yeah, you're right. Um, I think the final point I wanted to hit was this is a big one. Uh, again, this was another thing my wife kind of an observation she made was like we mentioned like who's the anchor in the family, but. She said, basically, it seems like the older you get in the Caucasus, you've either earned your right or you really are the one who lead everything in the family, uh, including even what the parents do with the children, the grandkids. Um, we've definitely seen that. Where, Like in the States, I mean, this is a very common experience in the States where an adult child who has children would – if his parents, the grandparents were like disciplining his children differently than how they would want or commenting on something about in their home or their family. And the adult child would say to his parent, the grandparent, mom or dad, this is my house and my family. (laughs) We're going to do it my way. That's a normal thing in America. Everybody goes through it. Um, I cannot imagine that ever happening. In the Caucasus, oh, your blood would run cold. I mean, <laughs> you can't even Beca- be- because the expectation mentality is. I don't think there's any of that. My family, it's our family. But like, if anybody would be saying that, it would be the grandparents to the to the kids. <laughs> you know, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So that is just. I mean, talk about a like seismic difference, you know, in expectation Mm. and experience. You know, I want to go down one more rabbit trail. I know you said this was your last thought. There's an anthropologist who 
created a scale of kind of uh, dyads of different kind of cultural values as a tool for understanding a culture. And, and these would be things like, they call, call them orientations. So cultures tend to be, for example, somewhere on the spectrum between time orientation and event orientation. So time uh-huh. orientation is the thing, the meeting starts at a time run by the clock, focused on precision, punctuality, and so on. Event orientation is the meeting starts when everyone gets there. And yeah. if everyone's not there, the important people aren't there, the meeting hasn't started. The exact time on the clock is secondary, if present at all. Um, and so okay. cultures live somewhere between these two poles. Well, one of the the dyads that he created is, uh, needing to create this, but observed, is about status, a really interesting one, and the two the two extremes are status ascribed and status achieved. Huh. Status achieved is what we know of in America for the most part, which is you have status and clout and influence right. if you earn it, if you work up to it. It is available to be had if you do the right things and succeed in the right ways, whatever that is, if it's in your, you know, if it's in your knitting club or if it's in your corporation or whatever, like you can earn your way up. Yeah. Not just yep. in paycheck, but in influence and, and this sense of status. In status ascribed cultures and societies, status is handed down. Hmm. And it can be given to whomever the status givers give it. Um, and so... It's not so much earned as sometimes uh, inherited or, or lived into. And I get this, it's very hard to pinpoint, but I get this feel in the caucuses. And I felt this in other cultures where, you know, young men, young women who are starting their families are really just beginning the road to a, 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 yeah. the, acquiring the status of an adult which will yeah. only come after decades of adulthood. Whereas in the U.S., it's like instant. I have my <laughs> driver's license. I can buy alcohol or I can vote or whatever. It's like I hit a uh, – and now if – now it's – you know, I can buy a house if I have the money. I can run for office. Like I can do these no. things just because – if I work, work up to it. Because um, legally I'm allowed. Yeah. Legally, I'm allowed, and other people acknowledge that. So, like, right. you can be a 24-year-old CEO and have all the respect, in a sense, of a CEO. Now, it's not super, you know, it's not black and white, but these are right. these are sort of general extremes. So, I just get this feeling of like young men and women on the road in the progression of like growing into full adulthood, which comes kind of when you have your own grown kids, in a sense, and you can start receiving that. Uh, that honor and kind of from them. Um, And we don't, you know, experience that in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I mean, it's, this is kind of rehashing what you said, but in the West, like more and more age is not viewed as a barrier. It, or like, it's not even viewed as what, levels people, you know, puts them side by side. Like, whereas in the Caucasus, that is the kind of measuring stick, you know, um, I'm thinking of a, a good friend of mine who, um, he has a pretty influential job 
in his republic. Um, I mean, he's a mover and a shaker. And But I was at his house during Ramadan one year, and uh, for the meal, it was all it was his father and all his father's friends who were um, eating the meal. And who's the one serving everyone? <laughs> the son, the younger one. That's it right. does not matter that probably he makes more money and definitely has more influence in the republic at a work level. But in what's valued in the Caucasus is age. <laughs> and he was the one serving everyone, you know? That was a fascinating, right. like, thing for me to see. I'm sure. Um, obviously, in this podcast, we look for the positive things in the Caucasus to try to talk about because not many people are doing that. And, you know, it's it's easy for anyone to just be down on their culture and where they're from. Anybody can do that, and everybody <laughs> does do that. Um <laughs> I, I feel like this is a podcast episode I came into recording not having a full grasp on what are my my set views on this, you know? And mm. I think a lot of it is because what I've seen in the Caucasus has really rattled what my view of what was normal I, that I grew up with, you know? Yeah. And um, I'm thinking about it a lot now because, you know, my parents and my in-laws are getting older. Uh, we're seeing our friends dealing with that in different ways with their parents. Um, and yeah, I, I'm thankful for the perspective I have now because of living in the Caucasus. Yeah. Are you the youngest son in your family? I am not. I'm the second. Um, ah. and, but interestingly, you know, there's four of us and, uh, three, three uh, boys and a girl. My The youngest son, my younger brother, he's the one living closest to my parents, kind of helping them the most right now. Now, you know, that's just kind of how things have worked out, but it's actually very Caucasus now that we think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I'm sure our listeners will have a lot they could contribute to this. Guys, we will just, it's easy, you know, if to, to chime in and we will echo back uh, either on air or on the Facebook page, your comments and your input. We'd love to hear from you, particularly if you have um, something to add or contrast with what we've said. I know that we only have a, we know we only have a little narrow point of view. Um, how does retirement work where you're from? How do you negotiate these? And particularly if you're in a cross-cultural marriage or family that has different values, I'd love to hear any, any example of, of how those things are being worked out. Yeah. It's, it's a real thing. So get in touch with us. You can find us on Facebook. You can email us, podcast at caucustalk.com. Um, and we love to hear from you. We love to give shout-outs. Please um, leave us a rating on iTunes if you yeah. think we deserve some stars that helps us with visibility and to, um, you know, our, our, our ascribed status to go up and... <laughs> or whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. And um, come find out about these things for yourself. We'd love to host you, and we'll see you when you get here.